There is so much richness in this text, and there is so much in the amount that we cover today, so let's get digging into it. I want to build a little bridge before we start digging in. Uh, between last week and this week, last week we started in the Gospel of Mark, and Gospel of Mark, as we learned, is, moves quickly. Uh, there is no birth narrative. Uh, it's communicated urgently in order for the people uh, to believe, to believe that Jesus was it. Jesus was the Messiah whom they had been waiting for. In the midst of the oppressive Roman occupation that destroyed the Jewish, Jewish um, sacred place of worship, they kept them in, living in fear for their lives, and they lived off of military might to rule the people. So John Mark, the author of the gospel, didn't want Jesus' message and presence to go by without an urgency to move to a place of belief. All hope was not lost if one could believe in the true Messiah, the Son of God, the one who could transform the world, one person at a time. So this fast-paced, moving gospel between last week's text and now, uh, between the second chapter that we had in chapter 4 today, there is uh, an accounting of many healing stories, one right after another. And each one, Jesus is trying to keep his presence hushed. He didn't get, want the word to spread too far and wide about who he was and what he was doing. But nonetheless, crowds and followers grew exponentially and began following him in large numbers. Thus, you hear about him needing to go into a boat in order to give a little bit of space so that he could actually see and speak to the crowd. So in chapter 4, the pace begins to slow just a little bit. And Jesus turns to teaching in parables. The infamous way of teaching that Jesus utilized, which taught in nuance and mystery. A way that doesn't provide quick answers. A way that often seems clear to the teacher and not so clear to the listener. A way that allows for richness to be harvested as one contemplates on it. So in the first parable, the abundance of seeds that the sower possesses is striking. To sow with such abandon from a gardener or from a farmer's perspective may seem reckless, a waste of seed. But perhaps the point isn't about making sure the seed is placed in the opportune place at all times. The point was that there is an abundance of seed. And that the seeds are to be shared with abandon without preconceived notions of the outcome. The seed was simply to be cast freely. The source was a place of abundance and not of scarcity. 
I myself have enjoyed the challenge of saving seed from year to year, year for my garden. And I'm by no means an expert on this, and my attempts are not always successful. But what I do know is that it take, doesn't take many plants or vegetable to have enough seed for the next year. In fact, I'll just choose one plant, the marigold. In one small seed head, I could probably have enough seeds for all my neighbors, giving them each a flat of starts from one seed head. And a marigold bush, I haven't even counted, but let's just throw out a number of 200 heads in one bush. Can you imagine the plenty of seed that is there? Well, with Jesus' teaching and nuance, he was met with confusion from the disciples. What did he mean? Seeds, sower, lights. So Jesus explains to the disciples more in depth what the parable meant. The farmer sows the word freely. The word is received at different places and times. And depending on the kind of soil that the word lands, there is a different outcome and how the life of the, uh, of the seed develops and flourishes or not. Outside elements, out of control of the seed or the soil itself, impact the ability of the word to flourish. Then another parable, the seed is sown day and night as the farmer works. There isn't anything that the farmer does but plant the seed. The seed knows what to do when it is sown. It holds all the wisdom within needed to produce a crop to harvest. The creator of the seed ultimately is the one who instills the wisdom of the seed to develop when met with a proper climate and surroundings. The job of the farmer is to plant the seed and then later reap the harvest as it is ready. We as bearers of seed and sowers of heirloom seeds of Christ's love, the love that has been given to us, we are laboring on behalf of the Creator to continue planting the kingdom of God in this world. It is up to the Creator to keep the seed to do its work in germination. We do not need to manipulate the seed or genetically modify it to fit our way of thinking or living. We can trust the Creator. Our Creator's wisdom that withstands time. There is great mystery to the seed itself. As small as a mustard seed, the plant that grows. The seed itself appears helpless, lifeless, but within it holds the wisdom to know when the conditions are right to open itself, to open and flourish. And the creator of the seed knows this. 
God, the designer, has implanted the wisdom within to know when and how to germinate when the environment is right. This work is magical when we can trust in the creator's instilled wisdom in the seed. The seed itself knows when it is, when it is right to open. And when the growth is evident, it shines like a light, not hidden, but illuminated for all to see. And you can't help but see it. Have you ever seen someone radiate as they share some good news, offer an expression of authentic compassion, speak with inner wisdom, or share vulnerably, speaking their truth? Usually when we see that light, that light shine within is when God, the creator, is at work. The wisdom seated within is growing and cannot be hidden. This can happen at a communal level as well. And one example uh, is the growth and work that I see happening in Valley Interfaith in Action. The relationships that are being established and nurtured across the valley between Muslim, Jewish, and Christian churches, whose mission is to work together for a greater good for our community. There is an energy there and a light in the meetings held that leaves me feeling like wow, there, there really is something going on here. Another example is through the class this past fall that was offered on dismantling the doctrine of discovery where nine area Mennonite churches across conferences joined together to learn, discuss, and ask ourselves hard questions about the lasting and continued harm that the doctrine of discovery has caused. Out of that experience, there's a group that is organized to visit the Monacan Nation Tribe Museum in Amherst in just a couple of weeks to learn, to listen, and to be open to relationships in ways that we can perhaps be allies with the Monacan people. Friends, we are in another moment in time just like the Jewish people in the time that John Mark wrote the gospel, in which, in the words of Brian McLaren, the world is on fire. Now, this past summer, we smelled the scent of literal fire of miles, miles away, but this isn't what McLaren is talking about. He named four crises that I'm going to use in his own words. I was making my own list, but I felt like his was very succinct, and so I'm just going to use his words. One, we face the crises with our planet. Two, we face a crisis of poverty and unequal distribution of wealth and power. The third is the crises of peace. 
The fourth, the crises of a religion because all too often our religious communities are remaining on the sidelines. These crises are contributing to the health of our souls, the church, our neighborhoods, institutions, and governments. It can feel helpless at times when we feel like the elements around us are choking, wrangling, or snuffing out the seed life within us. The impulse can be to self-preserve, not allowing the elements or anyone in to protect ourselves, maintain what is, and push away anything that makes us uncomfortable or causes us pain. The internal resistance that we feel is real. This past week, in the final Zoom gathering discussing Shannon Dykus' Advent resource we've been following, we were contemplating what it meant in a phrase she used in the book. I am free to struggle. It seemed to us at first an oxymoron. Is there freedom in struggle? As we contemplated it further, we began to see that the freedom that Shannon talks about goes deeper than the struggle itself. There is freedom to choose within the struggle. For instance, is there long-standing resentment, hatred, judgment that is held tightly within the struggle? perhaps constricting us more? Or is there curiosity, love, perhaps forgiveness, compassion within that struggle? Too often, ethnic European Mennonites have been guilty of being literally the quiet in the land living faith-filled lives while being very cautious and not getting too involved with the state. And while that may have preserved a communal faith, it did not allow the faith to always be open to share with others. McLaren states that much of religion has been selling people an evacuation plan rather than helping them participate and a transformation plan. How is faith, wisdom, the word nurtured, grown, nourished within us? How is the soil of our soul enriched? How do we keep ourselves drowning in hope, from hopelessness, loneliness, or working ourselves into the ground? There are some points that I feel like the parables offer for us today. One is the seeds of the word, of faith, of God's love, are abundant. There is a deep source, an everlasting source, where it is offered to all. We don't have to carry the responsibility of being the sower all the time. We just need to open ourselves, lean into and engage with 
God's power of creative, redeeming, and sustaining love. The second is that the creator has designed the seed to have all the wisdom needed already within it. As theologian Sally McFaig stated, when we are aware of God's presence in and through and with everything for its well-being, it can free us to live lives of radical change. Perhaps it is the only thing that can. We do not rely on such hope as a way to escape personal responsibility, but rather this hope frees us from the pressure of outcomes so that we can add our best efforts to the task at hand. We can trust that God's ultimately got this. The third is that we need to find ways to build resilience within our soul microbiome to fortify ourselves for the journey ahead. And what does this look like? Whenever we engage in deep soul work, whether it's individually or communally, there is healing and transformation that happens. On a personal level, for me, that those elements that have aided that have been Gestalt pastoral care and spiritual direction. When I have sat with someone or a small group of people to listen supportively, inviting me to pay attention to myself, where the deep pain and struggle resides, to listen in attentively to the Spirit's invitation. Subtle yet powerful internal shifts have happened at a foundational level that impact my whole being. I can definitely say that I am not the same person without it. There is a deeper freedom that can be accessed in this world that is on fire. Mystic Howard Thurman, Martin Luther King, who we honor tomorrow, present-day Sikh activist Valerie Kaur, and so many other activists and teachers of color can all attest to this. Their testimonies, teachings, and life examples can be teachers to us for how to build resilience in our own being. And when this happens, my friends, the fourth emerges. And that is a light a light within that cannot be hidden. There is a resilience of the soul that can withstand the pressures, not with a Messiah-Savior complex, but in the way that Jesus lived, with humility, grace, and love. Living in this way is what it means to be free in the struggle, Living in this way is what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. It is what we pray when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. May it be so. 
We acknowledge that we strive and strive again to live out our faith, needing to acknowledge, but we also need to acknowledge where we are distracted and pulled off course. And so with humility, we join together in reading the confession. You can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen. Oh God, we confess that faith feels like a quiet, small seed within us that gets drowned by the loud voices competing for our attention. Grant us grace to listen deeply to the wisdom of we confess that it is easier to trust in the false security of wealth, materialism, and our own might, rather than in the power of your love and compassion. Grant us courage to surrender to the security of your abundant love. We confess that we can easily hide in the silence of our faith rather than speak or act in ways that challenge the powers around us. Grant us fortitude to speak and act in ways that further your mercy and justice. May the power of the Spirit at work within each of us grant us resilience in our faith, enlighten us in hope, and embolden us in love for each other and the world. 